All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started. Like I said, if you haven't grabbed a, uh, uh, a handout in the back, it'd be really helpful for you to grab one as we go through the lesson this morning. Uh, the lesson today is lesson number nine, the persons of the Trinity. This is part two of a two-part series on the Trinity. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to open us up in a word of prayer, ask the Lord to help us out here because uh, we need it, uh, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the, uh, the beautiful sun outside. We thank you for the opportunity to come and gather and to hear your word taught and preached this morning. Uh, we pray that as we open your word, as we discuss and think about what your word has to say about yourself and the Trinitarian nature of you, we pray that you would guide us in our discussion and you would help us to, uh, to learn what we need to learn, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we would be made all the better for it, made more like Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, uh, like I said this morning, we're going to be going through part two of the Trinity, and in particular what we're going to be covering this morning is the persons of the Trinity. So last week we got a crash course on, uh, on the Trinity, a broad overview, a survey, if you will. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to cover a few of those, those things we covered last week. So if you're looking at your, uh, your outline at the very beginning, uh, we're going to revisit the basics, uh, and then we're going to get into the persons of the Trinity. We'll talk about God the Father, God the Son, uh, and God the Holy Spirit, and how uh, Scripture reveals God as a Trinitarian God. Um, yeah, so that's what we're going to cover this morning. Um, yeah, so in the doctrine of the Trinity, we find that we, uh, have, there's a full dose of feeling, our inability to grasp fully the glory of our God. Uh, a Trinity Evangelical Divinity School uh, professor years ago, Dr. Wilbur Smith, said this. He says, the man who denies the Trinity will lose his soul. The man who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. Right, so... As we think about the Trinity, often if, you, if you've tried to describe it to someone or even just tried to think through it yourself, you get this sense of an inability to wrap your mind around that concept, right? Um, but we are told to worship God with our minds, right? So it glorifies Him to pursue understanding His revelation of Himself by faith. So what we're going to do is we're going we're to look at Scripture, okay? And we're going to see how God reveals Himself as a Trinitarian God, and whether we're able to completely wrap our minds around that concept entirely or not, we, we need to come to the Word in faith, trusting that what God reveals about Himself in Scripture is true. So that's what we're going to do this morning. All right, so the main idea for our, top, or for our discussion this morning is that the doctrine of the Trinity reveals the personal nature of God, which is reflected in every area of life. I'll say that again. The doctrine of the Trinity reveals the personal nature of God, which is reflected in every area of life. So we're going to start by going over the basics again. Uh, we're going to take a look at who uh, or how the Bible describes God and, and the Trinity, and then some, some ways that, that, or what the Trinity is not. So we'll look at what the Trinity is and what the Trinity is not. So if you're looking at your, your outline, item number Roman numeral, Roman numeral one, uh, letter A. So the, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. So we talked about that last week. So if you, how many of you have a concordance in the back of your Bible? Anybody? Okay, raise your hand if you have a paper Bible. Let's, let's just start right there, okay. <laughs> um, 
All right, so some Bibles have a concordance in a Bible. Show of hands, who knows what a concordance is? Anybody? Okay, great, awesome. All right, so this is a list of topics and where you can find uh, those topics, or a list of words where you can find those words. So if you were to go into your concordance and look for the word Trinity, you wouldn't find it there. All right, so it's not, the word is not in the Bible. So it's not explicitly taught in Scripture, but it's an implicit doctrine that is found on nearly every page of the New Testament. So it's not, not a man-made concept, but it's our best attempt to explain what God has told us about himself. So just because you don't find the word Trinity in the words of Scripture doesn't mean that it is not a true concept. It is not how God describes himself. He absolutely does describe himself in that way. Let's keep going. Letter B. The God of the Bible is the one, or the only one, true God. So we looked at a couple of passages of Scripture last week. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, often referred to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? He is one God. He is not one uh, of many, nor is he... um, nor is he less than that, right? The resounding theme of the Bible is that there is only one true God and that he is to be worshipped. The doctrine of the Trinity does not undermine this, but rather it, it undergirds this concept, okay? All right, letter C. The one true God eternally exists as three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They share the same essence, yet are distinct in their persons. So I think the way that Garrett explained this last week, the essence of God was what he called the God stuff, right? That stuff that makes God who God is and makes him God. His essence is shared, right? It is common amongst the persons of the Trinity, but their roles, their their ministry to us are different. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to see how each of the persons of the Trinity has a different role uh, and works differently. Okay, any, any questions on that part so far? Okay. All right, so let's take a look at what the Trinity is not. Okay, letter D. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are not three different gods who work for the same purpose. And we talked about this last week. Who remembers last week who this describes? This is the... Nope. Mormons. Who said Mormons? To the man in the back. Thank you, sir. Mormons, right? So the Mormons would say that there are three separate gods. I had a conversation with a, with a Mormon uh, friend years ago who said that they, they believe in one God. Rather, it's one office, but three separate gods occupy the same office. Well, we would say the scripture directly refutes that and that God is one. There are three persons eternally existing um, that make up the Trinity. They are all God, each one of them is God, but they are distinct in their ministry, right? So they're not three separate people or entities operating in, a, in, in an office that um, could be swapped out with different people, right? So that's not true. We don't, we don't believe that. We would, we would call that heresy. All right. Um, letter E, God is not one person, the Father with Jesus as a creation, and the Holy Spirit as an energy or force. Who, who does that sound like? Arianism. And who practices Arianism today? Starts with a J. Rhymes with Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses. There you go. Yeah. Right. So they would say that Jesus is a created being, um, that he is not God. He is not divine. Um, But we would say that that is also not true. And we're going to look at that here in just a little bit when we study God the Son. And we'll see how, how he, Jesus, refers to himself 
as God, where he, he, claims, his own, he claims deity. All right, so it's directly and indirectly, um, deity is applied to Christ. All right, and then letter F, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are not one person who merely appear as three different persons. And what is that called? Anybody remember? Modalism. Um, often practiced by uh, oneness Pentecostals. And there was a particular um, popular preacher um, who would hold to this view. Anybody remember who that is? T.D. Jakes. That's right. T.D. Jakes would hold to that particular position. So modalists would say that God is one, yes, but he is not three persons, but rather it is the same God who just kind of reveals himself with a different mask depending on the, the time, right? Uh, so in the Old Testament, he's God the Father. When Jesus came, he was God the Son. And after Jesus had ascended into heaven, we, we have God the Holy Spirit. They are not three distinct persons. They're just the same God revealing himself in different modes, as it were. We would also deny that that is, um, that that is orthodox. It is not orthodox. Um, any, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say real quick. So on F, I think it says are not one person, where I think that is actually, that heresy would be saying Father, Son, and Spirit are one person. Right, 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 right. Really one person, right. So if anyone was confused, then I can doubt Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so one, one God, but not three persons. Yeah, but we, we would say that God is one God, eternally existing, and three persons. Um, throughout all eternity. Thank you, Johnny. That's good, good clarification. Any other questions on uh, the basics? All right. Awesome. So we're going to keep moving. Yes. I'm just wondering, does, does this imply, do you think, that the word eternally, of course, eternally existing, mm-hmm. that, uh, that God wasn't lonesome and needed to create the universe? <laughs> yes. God was in fellowship. He was. was the Trinity was an eternal fellowship yeah. to let us create man in our image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so the question is, um, God wasn't lonely and needed to create us. Absolutely, that's true. And so um, I think, uh, I think it was, is Kyle in here? Kyle's not here. So I think Kyle taught the lesson on God's incommunicable attributes, okay? And one of the attributes that, that is incommunicable, the attributes of God that's incommunicable, is God's eternality. Right. He is without beginning, and he is without end. He is eternal. Um, we, human beings, were created in the image of God. We were created immortal in the sense that though we have a beginning, we will go on living forever in eternity, either eternity with God in glory or eternity separated from God in hell. Right? So we will continue to go on, but we, we are not eternal. Only God is eternal. Um, and absolutely, yeah, he, was, he had fellowship with himself, uh, he had community in himself eternally. He didn't need us. Um, but what a, what a grace of God that he chose to create us that we might experience fellowship with him. Okay. All right. Let's keep moving along. So Roman numeral number two, the persons of the Trinity. So the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, God pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of his glory in a way that is like going from black and white to HD. Anybody ever watch TV on a true black and white TV? And who remembers when HD first came out, right? So that was, that's incredible. You can see pores on people's faces. It was in, I don't know that I wanted that kind of clarity in my television, but, um, but that is the, that's the difference, right? So we, we get to see God in a new way. You see his glory in a new way. Um, so God not only says 
who he is, but he shows us who he is in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so as we begin to consider God's revelation of himself, we want to keep two things in mind. These are listed uh, under Roman number number two. Number fir- the first thing is, the three persons of the Trinity possess the divine nature while maintaining distinct personhood and roles. All right, so God's nature or his essence uh, is a way to describe the godness, or like, like Garrett said last week, the God stuff, right? The godness of God. So he alone possesses uh, that, his nature, and, and the Father and the Son and the Spirit each fully possess this nature. So that's, um, that's kind of what we're talking about, that one God eternally existing in three persons, each of which is equally divine. They possess that nature. They're different in their ministry and their roles. Right? So God's existence as persons is a way to describe the fact that while there is one God, He exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. So they are not three gods, um, but rather they dwell in communion with each other. And then we look at the roles of the divine persons. Um, so the roles explain how each person of the Trinity exists in perfect harmony with one another through an eternally loving relationship of authority and submission. All right? The second thing that we want to remember is that all things flow from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, so God relates to his people uh, by bringing them to the Father through the high priestly work of the Son and by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. I think we kind of talked about that last week, um, and we related that especially uh, in, in prayer, so how we pray. I think it was a question we had last week, how do we pray to God? What is the normal way of doing that? Um, well, so... All things flow from the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. We'll take a look at that here just a little bit as well. Yeah, so um, let's, let's go to point A, God the Father. So um, if you're looking at your handout, you will notice that throughout your handout, it looks like we have cited the entire Bible. Okay, um, and so what, what we're going to do is we're not going to hit every single passage that's listed here in your handout, but what I would encourage you to do is in your personal devotion time this week, um, just kind of go through this, look at each one of these passages, um, but we're going to focus on a few of these, um, and I'm going to be asking for volunteers to read. So uh, to kind of cue this up, you can have somebody, a volunteer, to read 1 Corinthians 11.3. Just kind of put your hand up if you want to take that one. Johnny? Um, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Kelton. Okay, good. All right, so just before we get to that, um, so God the Father. So when most people, when most Christians think of God, they think of their... Heavenly Father. So 122 times God is referred to as Father in the book of John. Um, so when God is referenced in the scriptures, it's very often a reference to God the Father. All right, so first thing we want to look at is the Father is the head of the Trinity. Okay? He made plans in eternity past and is working them out now according to his timing. Who had uh, 1 Corinthians 1 th- or 11 13? Go, or 11, 3. Go ahead. Uh, just verse 3. Just verse 3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay. In Acts 1, 6-7? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you have time restored to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay. All right, so we see that Within the Trinity, we understand that the Trinity consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 11.3, we see that um, Paul is referring to the head of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is God, God the Father. Right? And so we see that there is, um, there is a, uh, 
Yeah, so the, he, is, he is the head of the Trinity. There is a level of submission um, of authority. And then also um, that God the Father has, has made these plans, the eternity past, and is working them out. And, you know, Jesus said to them in, in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So we see that there is authority and headship in God the Father. Right? Uh, number two, our, our Heavenly Father is the source of all things and the one to whom all things return. So we can look at uh, John 5, 26. Who would like to grab that? Joshua? And then uh, let's look at James 1, 17. Heather? Let's go ahead and read John 5, 26. Yeah. But the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Amen. James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father's life, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Amen. Yeah, so our Heavenly Father is the source of all things. John 5.26, Jesus says that, that the Father has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. He's the source of life. And we read in, in, in James, that James says that the source of every good and perfect gift, every good thing that we receive comes down from the Father. So he is the source of all things, the one to whom all things return. And one way that we see, um, that we see this is that the Father foreknows, chooses, and predestines people whom he gives to the Son to redeem and then entrusts all judgment to the Son um, someone look at uh, Romans 8, 28 through 30. We'd like to grab that. Krista. Uh, and then John 5, 22. Kelton. And then John 6, 37 through 40. Joshua. All right. So Romans 8, 28 through 30. Awesome. So, and in that we see that this is where, where God the Father, right, he predestines people and he brings them to himself. Well, how, how does he do that? Let's look at John 6, 37 through 40. John 6, 37 through 40. Yes, sir. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a promise. What a promise, right? So, so God gives these people whom he's predestined to, the Son to redeem, and we see Jesus talking about how I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. I should lose nothing, and I will raise, raise them up on the last day. In John five twenty two. Amen. Right, and so we see that, so not only has God the Father predestined people, but he's also given them to the Son to redeem, and then at the end he has given all judgment to the Son. Okay, so once the Son completes the work of redeeming all the Father has given him, 
He will return and present the bride in all her splendor. Someone look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24. Who'd like to grab that? Heather. Uh, 22 to 24. Yes, sir. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Amen. All right, so we see here that so God is not only the source of all things, but he is, um, yeah, he's the one to whom all things return. So when, when Jesus says he's going to present his bride, to whom is he presenting his bride? God the Father. He's presenting God the Father. When the end comes, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, after destroying um, every rule and every authority and power, he will, he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father. So he delivers them. All right, let's keep moving. Number three, uh, there's no inferiority between the Father, the Son, or the Spirit. Each are fully God, yet have unique roles. Uh, God has a perfect balance of authority, submission, and glory-sharing love. God the Father commands the Son to act according to His will and sends the Spirit to live within believers and conform them to the image of the Son. So we've got quite a few passages of Scripture I want to look through that, that are going to kind of help us see this. Um, so I'm going to call these out, and if, if you want to volunteer to read these, please, please raise your hand. So John 10, 29, I'd like to grab that. Yes, sir. Um, let's see. John 14, 28. Yes, sir. John 15, or sorry, John 5, 30. Yes, ma'am. All right, John 3, 35. Yes, ma'am. Who would like to just read the whole book of John? kind of how it looks like we're going. Um, John 5.20. Kelton. Kelton, let's read the whole book of John. Uh, John 14.31. Yes, sir. Uh, John 17.5. Yes, sir. John 17.24. Who, who called that? Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. I was looking for a visual. Um, yeah. Uh, Isaiah 42.8. Yes, sir. Heather, you can have that one. And then John 12.49-50. Yes, sir. Johnny. All right. So we had John 10.29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay. John 14.28. Who is that? You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you will rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. There you go. All right. Perfect balance of authority. All right, John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All right, so you see Jesus is speaking of uh, his submission to God the Father. He can do nothing on his own, right? I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So there's, we see submission there. Okay. Uh, John 5, 35. I'm sorry, 335. 
He's given all things into his hand. Okay, John 5.20. Okay, and then John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Amen. Um, and John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The glory I had with you before the world existed. This is clearly showing that God shares His glory, right? His glory is shared within the Trinity, okay? Um, not shared with, with men, but in, in Himself, okay? Uh, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Amen, amen. And who had Isaiah 42, 8? He doesn't share it with graven images, right? He shares it in and of himself. Um, John 12, 49 through 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father has sent me, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Amen. Right, so we see that God the Father commands the Son to act according to his will. Right, and then uh, Romans 8, 29, I'll read this. Um, he, he sends the Spirit to live within believers to conform them to the image of his Son. Uh, Romans 8, 29 says, For um, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Right, so there's, as we see in all of these passages of Scripture, the one thing that we should see is that there is no inferiority between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we've seen how there, there is submission within the Trinity. So God the Son uh, submits to God the Father, right? So we, we see that, but there's no inferiority. Both are, are equally God. Both are equally God. All right. Um, let's kind of keep going. So number four, any questions on any of that? I know this is a lot of information. It's a lot of scripture to, to go through, but this is good. Any questions? Once, twice. Yes. In essence. That's right. That's right. Right. So in essence. So as we, we talk about uh, the stuff that makes God who he is, if we say that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equally God, there is no inferiority in essence amongst the Godhead. But yes, there are, there are particular roles that they fulfill, and we'll kind of see that a little bit more as we go. Yes? I'm not sure what you would describe them as being inferior roles, as opposed to subordinating or submitting. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Subordination, submission, not inferiority. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good, good point of distinction. Yes? So um, I know some, not denominations, but we, we would say cults or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. would use a passage like John. 1428. Um, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Mm -hmm. So how do we think about this in light of that passage? Yeah, so I, I, would, I would look at that as, as one of submission, right? So just like um, 
just like Jesus said, that I do nothing on my own, but only that which the Father tells me to do, he gives me to do. Um, so in that essence, he would say that greater in the sense of, you know, God the Father it has headship in the Trinity, right? So that there is submission there, but not one is, is greater in essence than the other. Does that make sense? Anybody else have anything you want to add to that? Just where, so that verse is, yeah, being out of the book of John is also sort of set in the context of John 1.1. 1, 1, right. Where the word is with God, word is God. word is God. Right. Same in essence. So yeah. sort of having both of those two at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks. Uh, I was going to say also uh, Philippians 2.6, as it says, the form of God and not count equality with God. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, so what's really interesting is, is um, depending on the translation that you read, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be exploited. In other words, there was a, he could have done that. Right. So could Jesus have just popped down off the cross if he wanted to? He had the power to do that, yes. But he submitted to the will of the Father. You know, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, you know, Lord, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, let it pass but not my will be done, but your will be done. So there was submission in that, but there was no way that he was lesser or less powerful or unable to climb down off the cross. So it's good. It's good. All right, number four. So we most normally relate to the Father through the intercessory work of the Son in and by the Holy Spirit. Okay? To the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. So we kind of talked about this last week. We talked when we pray, when we pray to God, we typically pray to God the Father, through God the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so it's not wrong to pray to Jesus, uh, but the pattern in the New Testament is to pray to the Father. All right, so we, we, we only see three places in the New Testament where believers pray to Jesus. We see that in Acts 7.59, where Stephen is, is crying out to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, receive my, receive my spirit. So he's, he's praying. Um, 2 Corinthians 12, 8, where Paul is praying, um, you know, Lord, take this, this thorn from my, my flesh. So there's some debate about who uh, Paul was praying to, whether he was praying to the Son or to the Father or to like, the Godhead or God in general. Uh, but if he were praying to just the Lord Jesus, that would be the second example. Um, and then in Revelation uh, chapter 22, verse 20, um, where John says, come, come soon, Lord Jesus, right? There's a prayer. Um, come. Um, so those are really the only three places we see that. So the scriptures are, are never showing anyone praying to the Holy Spirit either. Um, we are never told to do it explicitly. Um, we are told to ask, excuse me, ask the Father, and He will answer according to His will. Um, so all that being said, right, so there's a, there's a strong case to be made for praying for each member of the Trinity, right? So as you read, though, here, here's the thing. Don't don't get wrapped around the axle about this, right? So don't, don't, don't pray and you're like, oh, man, I messed up. I prayed to Jesus instead of God the Father. So, so God's not going to come down out of heaven and, and smite you down for praying in the wrong order. Um, all members of the Trinity are equally God. The normal pattern in the New Testament is to pray to God the Father through God the Son, who is a mediator sitting at the right hand of God, who is interceding on our behalf, and we pray in the power of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the words to say, and when we don't have the words to say, He speaks on our behalf. But, yeah, you're, you're not in the wrong. So, any, anybody have any, any, anything you want to add on that? Johnny, you look like you're about to raise your hand. No? 
You're resting it? Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Just keep me on my toes. Appreciate that. All right. So that is God the Father. Any questions before we move on to God the Son? Yes. Well, not, not, not to start too big a, a rabbit trail, but... It's okay. Is, is there, is, is, should we draw any implications at all from the fact that, that the father and son are both male gender? Any implications like... I don't mean that, not how we would relate in our lives, but I don't know, just the, and it doesn't say mother-daughter. Right. <laughs> uh, should we draw anything from that, that the father is male? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just think of a think of a few things. So, first of all, we see that that God refers to Himself in the male pronoun. So I think that it is only good and right that we refer to Him as such. Okay. Um, but beyond that, I mean, a, a case could be made for headship, gender roles. I mean, it's completely outside the context of this particular lesson, but I think, I think we could go there if, if we wanted to. Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk with you in more in-depth after class if you like, since it is kind of a rabbit trail, but any, any feedback? Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Perhaps, yeah. Johnny. So, to think that, yeah, because God the Father has revealed himself in the male pronoun, mm -hmm. we, like you said, we ought to refer to him as such. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we know from Jesus' teaching that God is spirit. As he well. is, yes, yeah. Right? So, the male pronoun is not for us to think that he has male parts, but for us to think that God the Father yeah. Authority, authority in the same yeah. way that, that males had authority in that right. day. Right. Um, and so I think it's, yeah, so balancing those two things. Sure, right? absolutely. That's good. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Good. Okay, awesome. All right, let's keep moving along. Letter B, God the Son. God the Son. Um, so Jesus is directly and indirectly referred to as God throughout the New Testament. Okay. Um, so just a quick point here. The scriptures are also clear that Jesus was fully human in every way, except that he had no sin. So fully divine, fully human, completely without sin. Okay? But he is directly and indirectly referred to as God throughout the New Testament. Someone um, would take John chapter 1, verses 1, 14, and 18. Who would like to grab those three? 1, 14, and 18, yes. Kelton's got that. And then Colossians 1, 15 through 16, Joshua. So as soon as you get to John 1, Kelton, you can rattle it off. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God. Amen. 
So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, okay? Directly referring to Jesus as God, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see just kind of in, uh, in just John 1 is a beautiful passage showing this, this, this truth so clearly. Um, but we see that, that Jesus is referred to indirectly and directly at the same time as, as God. Now Colossians 1, 15 through 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Mm. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians 1.16, for by him, him being Jesus, all things were created. Okay, who does that make Jesus out to be? God. He's, he's God. Okay. What did he create? Everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him is Christ. Jesus is directly and indirectly referred to as God throughout the New Testament. Um, so he's also, he, Jesus himself indirectly referred to his deity many times and was accused of claiming to be God uh, by the Jewish leaders without Jesus' apology or correction. So Jesus never tried to correct them. Um, let's look at Matthew 26, verses 63 through 65. Who'd like to read that for us? Yes, you may. Yeah. Um, so you said that, that God created the heavens and the earth. Yes. And that Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Yes. Through Jesus. So anybody want to clarify that? I mean, so I think when we look at we look at Colossians 1, 15 through 16, for by him all things are created. Right? All things were created through him and for him. Right? So I would not say that Jesus acted independently of God the Father in, in creation. Right? So John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was there in the beginning. So we would see that, that there is uh, uh, at least pointing to the eternality of the Son along with the Father. But he was there. Right? So in the beginning. Um, how, how, is, how were things created? by God in the beginning. So God spoke them. How does John refer to Jesus as the, the Word? Okay, So through Him, all things were, were created. Does that, does that make sense? Anyone, anyone want to jump in on that? I mean, the same way that we think about redemption? Yeah. Redeemed the Son, by the Son, yeah. I think we see that same kind of thing. In creation, yeah. So, so God the Father redeems sinners through the work of God the Son and by the power of, of God the Spirit drawing sinners unto himself. So does that? Yeah, it's helpful. It's helpful. Okay, good. Like I said, trying to understand the Trinity, one may lose their mind. Okay, <laughs> trying to wrap their mind around it. Okay. Um, but these are truths in Scripture that um, David Platt said something very helpful one time during a secret church. If you guys ever watched those, those are awesome. He said there's one posture that one must uh, assume 
with regard to the scripture, and that is to kneel under it. Okay, so there's some things we're probably not going to understand in full, um, but that doesn't mean that they are not true. Okay. All right, number two, let's take a look at this. Jesus willingly submitted to the will of the Father in order to please him and to show him love. Someone grab John 5.19 and then also John 5.30. John 5.19 over here. John 5.30. Yes, ma'am. John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Amen. Amen. So in these two passages, I mean, there are other scriptures listed there. I'd encourage you to, to read through those on your own this week. Um, I love that. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 5.19, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Right? And in John 5.30, he does only the will of him who sent me. So um, just kind of going back to that, that passage in Philippians 2, where though he was in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped or exploited. Right? He willingly submitted himself to the will of God the Father. Okay. Um, another way that we see this is that Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God the Father. All right, Romans 3. 24 through 25. Who'd like to grab that? You guys can arm wrestle for it. It's cool. Joshua, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Just kidding. You don't have to arm wrestle. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Mm-hmm. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over forward sins. So, so there's a, a good word in here, propitiation. Who knows, who knows what propitiation is? Who would like to define that for us? Satisfying, God. satisfying God's wrath. How did Jesus satisfy God's wrath? Why, why, was, God, why was God full of wrath to begin with? Sin, right? So, and Jesus satisfied that through his blood, verse 25. God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So, Jesus went to the cross in order to satisfy the wrath of God the Father. Okay? Um, and just like Johnny had mentioned earlier, redemption. So we are redeemed. We are brought near to God through God, God the Father, through God the Son, through His shed blood on the cross, His sacrifice was what we needed. So He died the death that we should have died because of our sin. Though He had no sin in Himself, He willingly submitted to the will of the Father to take on that penalty, to, to drink in all of God's wrath in order that we who place our faith in Jesus can be reconciled to God the Father. Okay, so that, that is how he willingly submitted to God, to God the Father. All right, so what does this mean? This means that God the Father did not die on the cross for our sins. Okay? God the Son died on the cross for our sins. 
Um, so there was a, a, a blog um, from a, a guy named Matt Frad who talked about a passage, or not a passage, but a section of uh, the book, The Shack. Right, so the, we are not going to get into all that The Shack is today. Um, but I just want to draw this, uh, this quote out that I think is kind of helpful. Um, he says that in William Young's popular novel, The Shack, the Trinity is illustrated through three people. The father is an African-American woman named Papa. The son is a Middle Eastern carpenter. And the Holy Spirit is a mysterious Asian woman. At one point, Papa says to the main character that at the crucifixion, he and Jesus were there together. And Papa even has scars just like Jesus. Okay. So, this begs the question, right? Did God die on the cross? Well, yes and no. Okay. Yes. How many of you have ever asked somebody a question and they're like, well, yes and no? Isn't that kind of frustrating? <laughs> right? But yes and, and no. So yes, right? We believe that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. The God-man. God made flesh. John 1 says that he put on flesh and he dwelt among men. He came down from heaven to live as a human being among us. Right, so we also believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He didn't, like, somehow it was a body, an out-of-body experience kind of a thing, that just the body died, but Jesus' spirit was kind of hanging out over here. That's not what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ, the God-man, died on the cross for our sins because that was the penalty due our sin. That is what God required of us as a result of sin. Right. But did God die on the cross? No. It's the God-man who dies. But death is something that is experienced only by the human nature. Spirit cannot die. The divine nature isn't capable of experiencing death. So did God the Father die on the cross? No, he did not. Did God the Spirit die on the cross? No, he did not. It was God the Son who died on the cross. Any questions on that? If your question is about the shack, we can talk after class. Okay. Yes. So, so humans uh -huh. who die spend eternity, who, who die apart from uh, Christ, spend eternity in hell, or spend eternity away from God, mm -hmm. um, receiving their just punishment. Sure. So Christ paid the price while he was still alive, right? It is, it's through his death that it was paid for his shed blood. He paid the price. So we read in Romans that the, the, the wages of sin is death, right? So we, we will die. Our, our souls will go on to wherever they go before the final judgment. So either to heaven or to, to Hades, and then there will be a final judgment um, wherein death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, and those who are in Christ will, will go on to live in, in, in glory. Um, in the new heavens and the new earth with, with Christ. Um, but Jesus, that, that death, that, that payment, right? For those who place their faith and trust in Christ, that second death, that casting into the lake of fire, that eternal torment, that is something that, that we, will, we will never have to experience if we are in Christ. So does that to answer your question? Yes or no. Okay. So <laughs> I think it is through his death that he paid for it. 
right? So not necessarily while he was alive, because while he's alive, death, if death is the penalty, mm -hmm. death has to occur for the penalty to be counted paid, mm -hmm. right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Heather. Right. Absolutely, absolutely, yep. Russell. So yeah, I'm going to say something similar. I think okay. it's, his, it's his righteous life that right. is what makes his death meaningful. Right. But it's his death that's actually what's saving us. Right. Like he's himself. Well, right, and that's important. So that, that was you know, kind of the distinction that I mentioned earlier is that though he was, though Jesus Christ himself was, was fully God, he was also fully human, but he lived a life completely apart from sin. So... The wages of sin is death. So he did not sin. He didn't deserve to die. Okay? He didn't deserve that. That was not something he owed God as a result of his sin, because he didn't sin. Right? But because he willingly laid down his life for us, that he took on that death that he did not deserve, rightfully, in his own right, he did not deserve it. Um, but we did. So we, we are claiming that he has paid our debt, right? And then we receive, it's like Heather said, that we're, we, are, we are justified. We are given that, that legal status before God, that we are, we are deemed innocent, though we are not purely innocent. We are, we are viewed as innocent. It's, it's applied to us, and therefore we, we will not experience an eternity apart from him. But it is through his death. I mean, he had to die. Apart from that, um, it's not actually paid for. Any any. Clarification on any, anybody want to? Yes, sir. Right. Right. So, like, if you, I don't want to get too graphic, but, uh, like if you were to sacrifice that lamb, but not completely sacrifice the lamb and nurse it back to health and then do it again and do it again, that doesn't count because right? you didn't actually sacrifice the lamb. Right? But Jesus' sacrifice was complete. He actually did die. And that, that's important for Christians to, to, to believe that we, apart from his death and subsequent resurrection, right, there, is, there is no hope for us. Right? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15 that that of first importance that Christ died and on the third day he rose again. There was like legit death and a legit resurrection. So apart from those two things happening together, we, we hope in vain. Right? So it is through his death. Not his, it, it is his life that makes his death sufficient. Right? Uh, but it's through his death that, that we, uh, his death and resurrection that we know, we know hope. So, is that good to go? All right, let's keep going. Um, I really want to cover God the Holy Spirit, but I don't want to skip things. Look at your notes. If it's not in your notes. All right, number three. Let's take a look at this. Um, that God has given Jesus the authority, power, and right to judge all people. Um, so let's look at um, let's look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Who'd like to read that for us? You had a question, point. Well, no, I was actually just going to circle back up to 
Okay. Did I did I answer your question? Well, no. Okay. All right. That's so, awesome. Just, I guess I was thinking more of like so while Jesus was on the cross, like yeah. he was literally he was paying the price. He was literally suffering in eternity, like the price that we deserve in, in Hades or like in hell for eternity for all men. So while he was on the cross, he was paying the price that technically we wouldn't pay until we died. And if we died of so, so I, so I would say I would I would, I would nuance that with. It is his death, the point that he that he died. Like, so Jesus died a brutal, brutal death, but he died a death, right? It is the death, that was the wages of sin. Death. Wages of sin is death. You would die. So. Um, whether Jesus hung on the cross for four days or, or whether he was <coughs> beheaded. I mean, the, the fact of the matter, it, though that did not happen, he did hang on the cross, he did die, he did suffer, but it is his, his death, burial, and resurrection that give us hope, right? So um, I, these things were, I would say, were, were meant to be uh, the way that he the way that he was, uh, he was crucified, um, those, those things were, um, yeah, before the foundations of the earth, God had planned that this is how he was going to satisfy, um, you know, and, and pay for sin and provide a, a means by which sinners can be reconciled to God. But it, I think it is the, the actual death of Christ that when he died, that was payment. Right? And then resurrection um, is, is the reason why we have hope. Anybody have anything that you would... Let's say Romans... If I'm way off, you guys can like smack me, really. It's okay. I think Romans 3.25 says exactly what you're saying. Yeah. When God set forth as a propitiation to satisfy God mm-hmm. by his blood, mm-hmm. Right. And he, he shed his blood unto death. Right. Johnny. Um, so I think maybe to help get at what Michael's wanting to hold up as uh, true. So death sort of has two implications. Right? There is the pouring out of life, but there's also passing from one, one place of existence to another. And so passing from one place to the next. So in Jesus' death for us, he was treated as a sinner. Mm-hmm. Yes, without yes. Sin. Right. So to Michael's point, God the Father curses Jesus for us who deserve to be cursed. Mm-hmm. Right? He bears the curse of sin. It's the stroke of justice that the Father gives him. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. the passing from Father's favor to right, right. now being treated yeah. as a sinner. So there's that death, but there's also the death of a spilling out of blood and yeah. spilling out of life. So like both of those things I think are true. And I think that may have been what he was trying to get at. Is that, is that about right? Okay. <laughs> Josh, one other thing. I think really what, what Michael's getting at it as well is, is in, in John where it's talking about where John describes the death of Jesus, and he said, 
after this, Jesus knowing that all that all was now finished. Um, and he's saying that as, as he was alive, and then he says, you know, and he even says his last was, it is finished, and he found it, it is a gift of the Spirit. Hmm. We know even, you know, the, the other accounts of the Gospel, he said, yeah. my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Right, so right. He's experiencing God, he's experiencing that, that punishment right. while on, on the cross. Right. And then he, you know, to John's point, the death is, right. is coming to finally giving up of that Spirit. Right. I, I, guess the, I guess the point that, that I was kind of trying to get at is that if he had experienced all of that and did not die. Right. Yeah. Is that good? All right. I want to make sure we answer this adequately. All right. Yeah, no problem. Um, so Daniel, let's read this real quick. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. And we are, we are quickly running out of time, but that's okay. Uh, who'd like to read that for us? Daniel chapter 7. Yes, sir. I watched the thrones were put in place, and the ancient of days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels of burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain, its body destroyed, and given the burden of flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season of time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which will not be destroyed. Amen. So we see that, that Jesus here, the, the one like a son of man, speaking of Jesus, I was given authority and power. He's given an everlasting dominion and the right to judge all people. Um, yeah. So it's a a striking reality that on the day of judgment that we will stand before the Savior of sinners and for those who have not trusted in Him, the one who could have been their advocate will be their adversary in judgment. So something to, uh, to remember. All right, so we are about out of time. I do want to cover uh, two quick things here. God the Holy Spirit. So there's two points here that we have. Um, there's three points, actually. First is the Holy Spirit is God. He is... God, uh, 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18. If you beat me to it, you can start reading. You didn't. Uh, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the, whole, the Holy Spirit is, is God. Okay. I looked that up in my Bible. It was printed in my notes, and I still beat y'all. All right. Um, and number two, the Holy Spirit is a distinct divine person. Romans 8, 26, and 27. Who'd like to grab that for us real quick? Yes, sir. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. Right, so the Holy Spirit prays for us. To whom does he pray? Right, because he's a distinct being. He's a distinct person of the Trinity, right? So he's distinct. He's just, he has his own mind. And he who searches uh, the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Right, so the Holy Spirit is a distinct divine person. We see that in Scripture. Um, and I, I would encourage you to continue um, in, in this week going through the rest of those. Um, the last thing that I want us to look at is, uh, number three, the Holy Spirit exists in submission to the Father and the Son and serves to bring them glory. Uh, so John 16, uh, 13 through 14. So as you read, uh, note the singular personal pronouns, right? So it says that when the Spirit of the truth he comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's John 16, verses 13 through 14. And then we have Galatians 4, 4 through 6. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Holy Spirit exists in submission to the Father and the Son and serves to bring them glory. So I know that we didn't really have enough time uh, to give all of this justice, but uh, my encouragement to you is to, to take these notes, um, is to go through them. And if you guys have any questions, um, you can feel free to ask, ask me or any of the other elders here. Um, we'd be happy to, to walk through these things with you. But since we are out of time, I am going to close in prayer. Uh, and if anybody has any questions afterward, we can chat. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and that there is no doubt as to who you are. Father, we pray that as we seek your word, as we study, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would illumine the scriptures, that we might understand them. And Father, we pray that as we understand them all the more, that we would be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, give us boldness as we go from this place, that we would, um, that we would have a renewed vigor to share the gospel with those who have never heard it. Um, and that we would seek to make your name famous uh, wherever we may be. We, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all. Thanks.